The last couple of weeks we've been making our way through Paul's letter to the Galatian church. This is our final in that series on Galatians. Paul is making an argument for Christian freedom, freedom from the law. I invite you now to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the second chapter of Galatians. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if in our effort to be justified in Christ we ourselves have been found to be sinners, was Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, well then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So I do not nullify the grace of God, for, it, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me in prayer. And so, gracious God, we come before you once again in the hopes that you have a word for us today. Speak to us now as only a living God can. Wipe the sleep from our eyes and the wax from our ears, that we might perceive your presence in our midst. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, this time of year always brings with it the season of graduations. And I find it fascinating to look at what's being said at commencement exercises as young students at whatever level are going off to embrace their future. What is the advice, the best advice, that we can give them? The San Marino Tribune this past week carried a special section for the 2006 graduates. Last week, the San Marino High School commencement exercises in Titan Stadium included several speeches, one from the superintendent of schools, Dr. Alex Chernis, who allegedly told students that the sky is the limit and then to add emphasis four planes flew over the commencement exercises as an illustration a member of the school board then spoke about two top ten lists of things your parents would never say the principal according to the San Marino Tribune used a creative surfing theme in her fine graduation address so this week I also 
was included on a Facebook post and email of Dean James Ryan's address at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and their commencement. In that address, Dean James Ryan's claimed there are five essential questions that each of us must regularly ask ourselves to live a successful and happy life. The first question, he said, is the same one my children ask me all the time. And it's used by many young people. Perhaps your children or grandchildren have used this one with you. It's simply the wonderful question, wait, what? He describes how this question usually emerges when there's some chore that he includes in his speech to his children. The conversation's going along, and his kids are li literally hearing blah, 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 blah. And then he says, and by tomorrow I want you to clean your room. Wait, what? What's that? It's a question of clarification before drawing a conclusion. It's a question that seeks understanding. Wait, what? It shows a curiosity. It gives a preference to inquiry before advocacy. The wait that precedes the what just slows everything down in the conversation long enough to create understanding. Now the second question he goes on to say is, I wonder. And it's usually followed by, I wonder why, or I wonder if. It's an exploration of what is yet possible. If I've interested you in his speech, go look it up. What I'm mostly interested in this morning is his first question. Wait, what? Our text today makes an audacious claim. Paul is writing about the law and Christian freedom. He's making a rather esoteric point about justification that interests probably a few experts in the law, the Pharisees among us, and perhaps a theologian or two. But most of us, when I'm reading that text, are hearing blah, 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 blah. And then we hear, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Wait, what? The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Wait, what? There's a, there's a new way to live? There's some different source of energy and strength. We're not to live for ourselves, but with and for Christ? Wait, what? We all know there is a problem in the world. We read about it every day. People do incredibly hurtful things to each other and to themselves. We wonder what's wrong with our world. And then we take a good, hard look in the mirror at ourselves and we realize we're actually part of the problem. 
in the world in which we live, in which we have the capacity now to act anonymously and interact with others in a way that nobody's able to connect the dots with who we really are, what are we like then? Maybe it's when you're out of town on a business trip someplace else. Nobody knows you. There's no way you'll be caught. This week we have witnessed the outrage of many at the inhuman treatment of a Stanford swimmer to an intoxicated student and the light sentence that was received. Last night in Orlando, Florida, about two in the morning, a domestic terrorist, at least that's what they're calling him, in a gay bar in Orlando, shot as many as 50, perhaps, dead, many injured. There is absolutely no justification in the name of God. This kind of stuff isn't supposed to happen. Wait, what? The smartest kids in the country at Stanford treat each other this way? Wait, what? Some of us know that the news outside is not much different from the news inside. We know how to live better, but we don't. Some of us eat to excess when alone. Others drink, some gamble. Others turn to a life of fantasy. And when the constraints are removed on human life, how do we then live? Do we have some kind of an interior life that's healthy and under control of our appetites and our selfishness, or do those things get the better of us? The words of the Apostle Paul when he described his own behavior are familiar to many of us. He wrote, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do. I do the very thing I hate. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I don't want is what I do. And whether it's in the first century or the 21st century, the problem of the human condition is not fundamentally addressed by external solutions. The help we need has to be more invasive. It has to be more directly personal. It's not simply another piece of good legislation that's going to change things. Now, Paul lived in a different time in history, but the human dilemma was every bit as real in his experience of life. His people had received the promised land. They had the law of Moses to shape their common life. They had clergy to guide them into a deeper experience of God's ways and a deeper embrace of the knowledge of the Lord. The people of God yet continued to resist believing that a life lived within the constraints of the commandments of God was the richest and the fullest life there could be. 
Instead, they led a double life. They kept up appearances, but they lacked the justice, the kindness, and the mercy that God demanded. When no one was looking, they defrauded others. When no one was watching, they dumped mentally incompetent people back on the street. They cooked the books. They lied to investors. They allowed others to take the blame for their own misdeeds. And those who trusted in them suffered the consequences. And when they thought they could get away with it, they focused on what was to their own advantage and gave their appetites full reign, even when it meant that someone else was hurt. Paul knew that the law itself was a good standard, but people lived a double life under the law. They kept up appearances, but something more invasive and more personal was needed. And then what he discovered was the grace of God. A grace that was so powerful a force in life through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that it had the capacity to invade our lives in such a way that it became an antidote to our selfishness, to our sin, and to our double existence. Because it enters the very place where the problem resides in us. And life began to take on new meaning and significance for him because it had a new start. Wait, what? You have to be born again? How does that happen? You mean there's another reason for living? There's something different than just getting ahead and trying to get our piece of the pie? You mean to tell me that God is not just an absentee landlord? He's actually alive and well, bringing about some kind of redemption to this whole mess that I read about every day in the newspaper and I see within my own life? Yeah. And you and I get to decide whether we're going to be part of the mess or part of the solution. Probably the reality is we'll be a little of both. But Paul discovered the secret to living well. And it has nothing to do with how much you accumulate. It has everything to do with whether you're living for yourself or you're participating in some kind of deep healing of your own soul and then participation in the redemptive activity of God. Drinking so deeply of the grace of God that you experience a healing yourself. It's Christ in you. It's Christ with you. It's Christ for you. And this life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave Himself for me. 
I do not nullify the grace of God, writes Paul. No more leading a double life. No more pretending I can do this all on my own, that I can save myself. All life needs the invasion of God the Creator. God the Redeemer in Jesus Christ and God the Sustainer in the Holy Spirit. And that's precisely what we celebrate here. Every Sunday, but especially this morning in the baptism sacrament, we're cleansed by that Holy Spirit who comes to invade our lives so that we have some kind of power to live differently and to live better than we're living now. And we don't have to fake it anymore. Christ heals us where the problem originates within and takes up residence to help us live the way we truly want to live. And so we can live with integrity both within and outside of our lives. And it doesn't matter who's watching. We have a choice to make. We can go on living by our own resources, pretending to be better than we are, or we can actually become better than we are by inviting Christ to become part of our lives. It's called eternal life. And it starts now. Wait, what? Thanks be to God. Amen.